1: Verse number 16, I want you to see what it says. Just stay seated. We're going to read through the end of the chapter. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. If you think God's called you to preach, if you can do anything else other than that, then go do it. Because probably you're not called to do it. But if it consumes you, if you eat, drink, sleep it, and live it... if you Now, it doesn't mean you're going to be a pastor, an evangelist, or a missionary, but it ought to be on your heart. You ought not have to be drugged into service. You ought to be trying to knock something down to get into serving. "'For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward, but if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward, then, verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I have used not my power in the gospel?' For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law is without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. That I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I have made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some." Now. This is not a reference to compromise. This is a call to discernment. You don't preach the same way at the nursing home as you do Friday night of a revival meeting. You don't witness to somebody who's maybe never been in church the same way you witness to somebody who's been in church their entire life. You know who you're dealing with. You don't do wrong to do right in order to get a chance to do right, right? That's the quote. Verse number 23, And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which... Here's, here's our text, really. Verse 24 through verse number 27. Know ye not that they, that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore... And here's the verse that God used in my life. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, So fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now, if you find yourself studying these verses, it's not hard to discover the theme is Paul is talking about reaching people. His desire, three or four different times, is I want to see people saved. Weak people, strong people, Jewish people, Gentile people, I want to make sure that I can preach. I don't want to abuse my power in the gospel, hurt my testimony. I want to be effective so that people can be saved. Also, I want to bring glory and honor to God. And he uses the analogy in verse 24, beginning of a runner in a race. These people in Corinth were well aware of what it would be to be a marathon-type athlete, to be a preparer and a participator in a race. He knew it took diligence, it took determination, it took discipline, they were temperate in all things. And he said the Christian life is like a race. And I'm going to try to be as plain as, as can be. If the Christian life is a race and you're saved, it means you are a runner. Amen. Amen. And if you are a runner in a race, it means you have a clear objective. You're not just wasting time. You're not just going around the track. You're not just weaving and wobbling. You are determined. You are fixed. You are set. You have something before you. And everything you do, the goal is not simply the objective. Every part of the process is the objective. Because every step and every meal and every stretch and every weightlifting and everything is getting you toward the prize. There is no opportunity to be mindless in what you're doing. Everything you do ought to be done with intent. It ought to be done with purpose. It ought to be done engaged. We live in a society that has done its best to disengage and be as mindless as possible. We are conditioned to live mindlessly. What do you mean? I mean pot dispensaries to numb us to reality. Alcohol, it numbs us to reality. Automation, automated assembly lines, automation on our, uh, our phones, different uh, automation. It's a mindless thing. We don't have to engage in the activity. Um, virtual reality is big. People going to church in the metaverse or virtual reality, that is antichrist in my opinion. Yeah, I think so. But it's to disengage from actual life into a fantasy world. You ever talk to somebody... And while you talk to them, they're looking right at you, but you can tell they are not listening. <laughs> what I'm asking is either this: Are you a wife to a husband, or are you a preacher? <laughs> have you ever talked to some and they're looking right at you? And even I know how to even do this, don't I? I'll ask her things or say something just because I told you that I texted you that. I'm like, you did not, and I may, I think she probably did, but I have to argue on principle's sake. <laughs> but they're looking right at you, and they they're just not engaged in it. They are mindlessly involved in that activity. Jesus wasn't that way. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 9, and I'll I'll begin preaching in just a minute, that he steadfastly set his face. He said that everything he did, he did to fulfill the will of the Father. The Bible said for the joy that was set before him. He did not move, he did not minister meaninglessly, but everything he did was with intent. There was no wasted motion. Every so often you ought to do a self-evaluation, and you ought to ask yourself if you are effectively doing Christianity. I don't mean being busy being a Christian, but are you effective in your Christianity? There's a difference in being busy and being effective. Busy people don't always get things done. Effective people always get things done. Busyness is just I'm in motion, but effective means there's meaning and intent with my motion. I'm going somewhere. Good. For a little while this morning, I want you to think with me on just this thought. It won't be an ooh and all kind of a message, but I want it, just like the other ones, a building kind of a thought. The malady of meaningless motion. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for your help today, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Motion means the action or process of moving or of changing place or position. The word malady means something that is an undesirable or a disordered condition. We use the word malady when we talk about social malady. It's like a social sickness. Or an economic malady. It's a bad economy. Or a physical malady. There's a disease in your body. I want you to think with me about the sickness or the malady of moving but without any intent. I looked up some statistics in regards to everyday life. You'll find everyday life is made up of motion. In fact, life is defined in a way by motion. You study the statistics, and here's what it says The average American walks 3,000 to 4,000 steps every day. It's a lot of motion. That's one and a half miles or two miles. The average American works about 34 and a half hours per week. That's not a lot of work, that's a lot of motion. The average American parent gives about 24 hours in total per month to cleaning the house. That is motion. The average American speaks about 7,000 words every single day. That is motion. The average American spends about 7 hours and 4 minutes looking at some kind of a screen every single day. That is motion or activity. You know this statistic, but on average we drive about 14,000 miles every year Now all of those statistics represent a function that all of us do pretty much every single day, and every one of those statistics is a reflection of motion. And what that tells us is motion is just a part of life. In fact, life is defined by motion one thing that characterizes life from that which is inorganic or inanimate is motion whether it's reproduction or it's digestion or metabolism or adaptation but life is made up of motion and it is marked by constant motion there's constant physical motion there's constant emotional motion there's constant mental motion and in life we are always moving sometimes we move with intent we do what we do and we do it with a clear objective and we do it engaged and we do it with the destination we move with intent but I found often we move and because we're so familiar with the activity that we're involved in we lose sight of what we're doing and why we're doing it and we can accomplish whatever it is without giving very much attention to it whatsoever the intent or the f- the purpose is lost in the fog of familiarity we're always moving familiarity means makes things easier. We kind of lean toward familiarity. We like to travel a road that we've taken before. We like to do things that we've done before. We like to eat at a restaurant that we've eaten at before because there's safety and familiarity but also if we're not careful that can cause us to lose our focus along the pathway and move or uh, forget totally the purpose for which we're involved in the activity that we're involved in in the first place there's a danger in repetitiveness if repetitiveness leads to familiarity that makes you lose your focus What I mean is you get complacent, you get casual, and you get calloused to what you're involved in. It's like driving a car. Now, hopefully most of the time when you drive a car, you're engaged in what you're doing. I've driven enough around here to know that is not the case. More so than the drivers, it's these people in Rivermark that walk across the road without looking both directions. Now, I know in other countries they might not teach you to look both ways, but in American, neighbor, you better look both ways because I ain't slowing down if there's not a red light. Say amen right there. That's like two points, three points or whatever. So It's like driving a car. Hopefully when you drive down the road, you're paying attention to what you're doing and engaged. You're aware of the speed limit. You know your hands are on the wheel. You feel the pedals beneath your feet. Uh, You're actively driving. You watch the cars in your peripheral vision. You see the road signs and while you're moving down the road, you're moving down the road with driving on your mind. Your purpose is to go from point A to point B and you're totally engaged in that purpose while you're in motion. But is it not true that sometimes we're actively engaged in driving while other times we might not be so actively engaged while we drive. Now you're still in motion nonetheless, but you're not as engaged. You're focused on what you're doing. You're still moving. There's activity, but a distraction comes in. Maybe you're familiar with the road. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a text message. Something happens and it takes your mind off the primary function onto something that is secondary and it distracts you while you're still moving. It might just be seconds. It might be minutes. I hope it's not minutes. It might be miles, but it makes you miss your exit. Maybe you you break the speed limit. You swerve into another lane of traffic. And the main motion, which is driving, becomes meaningless in your life for just a moment because you lost the intent or the purpose for which you were involved in the vehicle in the first place. I saw a billboard a couple of weeks ago, and it said, Distractive driving is deadly. Now, I shouldn't preach on this because I'm a hypocrite, but it's a, it's a message against texting and driving. And it says, You take your eyes off the road, and it might lead to disaster because you're still moving, but you're not focused on the motion. Have you ever read a paragraph, got to the end of it, and thought, what did I just read? Now, you're reading, but you weren't paying attention. You ever ever been snacking, and all of a sudden, you start watching your radio, because we don't do TV or anything, but you're starting to watch your radio, and you're just snacking, and next thing you know, you don't even taste the potato chips anymore. And by the end of it, you're like, who ate the potato chips? And they're gone. Have you ever folded laundry, ma'am? I know I have not done that. Have you ever folded laundry? It happened to be engaged in a phone call. Or what? And next thing you know, you're standing there for 20 minutes with a tube sock in your hand. What in the world just happened? Here's what happened. We lost our focus. Now, it's proven. If we focus, we'll be more efficient. If we're more efficient, we'll produce. And if we produce, we get desi- uh, closer to our goal. Meaningless motion is a deficient at best, but it can be disastrous at its worst. And now let me apply it. Just like everyday life is made up of constant motion, the Christian life is a life of constant constant motion as well but it must be more than motion without meaning it must be motion that is focused and purpose and intent we did not get saved to stagnate yep. We did not get saved to be a spiritual statue. We are not some religious robot. We have physical life, but more than that, we have spiritual life, which is abundant life. And just as life in this world is marked by motion, Christianity is about motion as well, but it can become meaningless when you forget your purpose. Christianity is more than creed or dogma. It's more than letter. It is new life in Jesus Christ. And there's more to being a Christian than just being a Christian. What I mean, it's more than just being saved and wearing that title on your testimony. It's about Christ. And life, as I live it as a Christian, every step of the process ought to be driving me constantly closer to Christ's likeness. The Apostle Paul said it. I'll give you some Bible verses. Philippians 3, verse 13 and 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting, that's motion, those things which are behind, reaching forth into those things which are before, that's motion. I press toward the mark, that is motion, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's his declaration of focused intent on an objective. He's saying everything I do, not just the end game, but the whole game, the track, the last The field, all of it, is driving me toward the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 12, it's taught in verse 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside, that is motion, every weight and the sin, that is motion, which does so easily beset us, and let us run, that's motion, with patience, the race that has set it before us. But here's the key. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But then verse 3 tells us this, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners. So the writer says, you're in a race. And you're running this race to a specified destination, the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you're going to run this race and keep the intent and the meaning, and when I apply this, we well, will say, oh, woe is me and get on the altar. But to keep the intent in it, every step of the trip, I've got to consider Christ. So the writer says this, I've got a race to run, I've got a purpose in running, there's a finish line, it is Jesus, I'm going to look unto him, but the key to not running aimlessly is to consider or stay engaged in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Luke 10, 27 said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. Proverbs 23, 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So every step of my race ought to be so consumed with Jesus Christ that there's nothing without meaning, there's nothing that does not matter. There's nothing that veers me off. There's nothing that gets me behind. But every step is anchored in considering the Lord. And as I do that, I'm not just going to church. I'm not just carrying a Bible. I'm not just changing the way I live. But I'm trying to get myself closer to Jesus every single day. Philippians 3.10, Paul summed up everything about his life. He said, this is my utmost desire. After three and a half decades of laboring and loving and planting churches, he said, that I may know him. He said, that's the end game of this thing. And everything I do is anchored in making me know Jesus better. Many times, the Bible tells us, take heed. You know what that means? Wake up. Don't just be sleepwalking through this thing. Don't just be casually going about your Christian life. Don't just be floating with the current. Don't just show up and mindlessly be doing the things of the ministry, but in all thy ways acknowledge him and let him direct your paths. Christianity. ought to be so wrapped up in Christ and in the Lord that everything we do helps us grow in our intimacy with him. Every lap closer to Jesus. Every step closer to Jesus. Every mile closer to Jesus. Every minute closer to Jesus. If I claim to be saved, then I'm a runner. And if I'm a runner in the race, i have an objective and if i'm gonna win the race then i need to be focused on what i'm doing i just want to bear my heart with you and this isn't necessarily because i see this coming from you but i have definitely seen this coming from me and here's what i've discovered usually if i have the need then everybody else has that need to an extent as well there's an obvious sickness i believe in christianity today and before you just say well who is this guy i think that i've been around enough of our country to be able to say this and it's accurate I have my ear to the ground across our country. I talk to preachers. I watch. I'm watch. i a service junkie and mainly because I want to be negative and critical. But anyway, I'm a, I watch their services. I talk to them all the time. I observe when I go preach. And I've traveled enough to say this, and I mean what I say. There is a sickness, a malady, if you will, in Christianity. On the average, I see a feebleness instead of vitality in churches. I see a defensive posture when we're supposed to be on the offense... Things are on the decline instead of on the increase. And Christians in this generation, even though we have more advantages, more open doors, and more opportunity and liberty than any other generation has ever had, with more tools and more means of achieving success, we're seeing failure. If ever a generation ought to be winning the race, it's our generation. Here's the thing. There's a lot of motion, and there's no disputing the fact there's a lot of motion. But if all that is true, that we have all these advantages, why does it look like failure and not victory across the board? Now... Here's the first response. Well, it's the last days. That's a good excuse. And that's what we're apt to say. But I don't believe we can blame it on the era. Consider the average church. Now think about it. In a day of a lot of motion, the pews are emptying. In a days of a lot of motion, the doors are closing. In a days of a lot of motion, windows are being shuttered. I drove through Ohio into West Virginia on Thursday and saw white church after white church house. Oh, little, Most of them look like they're shuttered up and closed. In days of a lot of motion, there's no prayer meetings. In days of a lot of motion, there's no witnessing. In days of a lot of motion, there's no national influence or hope of revival. In days of a lot of motion, we're losing the next generation. In a days of a lot of motion, there's very few surrendering to serve God with their life. The pulpit is still filled. The choir life loft is still used. The pews are still occupied. The motion is there. But it's obvious the church today has a problem. And when we make the statement, there's a sickness in the average church, It ought to lead us to find the obvious conclusion. The issue is not the average church. The issue is the average Christian. The issue is Justin Cooper. The issue is you. The influence on the church that we see reflected in our country. We can't cry out over the church's condition without considering the cause in the life of the individual Christian. The average Christian is in motion, but I fear we're in motion without purpose. There's so much failure and so much spiritual anemia Here's what they say. I'm a Christian, so why is my marriage falling apart? I'm a Christian, so why did my kids go crazy? I'm a Christian, why is my heart cold? I'm a Christian, why don't I like to read my Bible? And we see a generation of Christianity that is marked by either worldly or dead churches and carnal, shallow Christians. And here's what I believe. I believe much of the mediocrity and all the failure we see that is epidemic today is a result that we are engaged in thoughtless activity. Compromise might not kill us, but familiarity just might. Christianity is not machinery. Christianity is not an assembly line. Christianity is not an automated manufacturing plant. This is the house of the living God. Within you dwells the living Holy Spirit. On this pulpit is the living Word of God. We are called lively stones. And while we get this thing down to a science, don't forget it is not supposed to be scientific. It is supposed to be spiritual. There is life in this thing. We might not be doing wrong things, but we can get in the rut of doing right things without mindfulness of purpose, and it becomes wrong. We fall into the misconception if we're moving... We must be making progress. But movement does not always equal progress if you forget your purpose. Motion makes us feel good. It makes us feel like we accomplished something. It paints a picture that we're advancing. As long as we move, we're convinced that we're getting closer to the finish line, whatever that might be. Here's what I mean. We have the doors open. That's motion. The lights are on. That's motion. The air is running. That's motion. The choir sang. That's motion. We passed an offering plate. That's motion. They preached a sermon. That's motion. I got up, that's motion. I showered, that's motion. I put on a suit, that's motion. I put on a dress, that's motion. I grabbed my Bible, that's motion. I drove to church, that's motion. I sat in my pew, that's motion. I prayed a prayer, that's motion. I read my scripture, that's motion. I gave, that's motion. I heard, that's motion. But in spite of all the movement and all the activity, where's the revival? For some reason, spiritual growth does not take place. Life is not changing, and our generation is not being reached. So, where's the victory? Why is it not coming? Where's the power and where's the change? Curtis Hudson said most Christians are like a rocking horse, a lot of motion, but no progress. In 1 Corinthians, I got to apply it and get out. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, this chapter deals with spiritual maturity and selflessness in ministry. As we begin to read the entirety of the chapter, Paul's under fire and being criticized by the most carnal Christians he had to preach to. And by the way, if that's your M.O., then that probably is your M.O. (laughs) If you are the chief critic, then you're probably the most carnal person in the crowd. From the starting gate of chapter 9, Paul has to get on the defense. In verse 1 through 2, he talks about his credentials. He said, I'm an apostle. He's like, I'm not mama called and daddy sent. I saw the Lord on the road to Damascus. I'm in this thing because woe is unto me. He said, I've been motivated and constrained to preach to you. In verse 3 through 6, he talks about the the criticism. They say, Paul's just in this thing for money. Paul's after cheap gain. Paul just wants a picket fence and a paycheck and a parsonage. Hey, what a bunch of devils that is. And you ought to bite your tongue, say amen right there. You gotta Your neighbor, If you hear them say that, that man's just in it for money. Hey, that's why you're in your job. Isn't it funny how you don't mind to make money at your job? That preacher's just in it for money. Boy, I feel like preaching this morning. Verse 7 through 18, the Corinthians, he gives them his charge. He said, hey, necessity's laid on me. He said, I must preach to you. I can't do anything else. He said, that's my calling in life. I'm a preacher. That's what I am. And then verse 19 through 27 is his conduct. Now, verse 24 through 27, he's likening the Christian life to a race, the Corinthians knew about racing. They knew about the marathons, the Isthmian Games, the Olympic Games. They were well aware of the training and the the uh, the process and the the activity of running a race. They were acquainted with all these Greek games. So in verse twenty-four, let's read these again, and I'll close in just a few minutes. It says, "Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run now. Watch the phrase. This is so important that she may." obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. He's saying this. Your life is like a race. He said the entire purpose of a race is to win the prize. He says you're running in a race and you're running to obtain. That means you have a goal. That means you have a purpose. You're running with intent. Every motion is purposeful motion. You want to grasp it. You want to apprehend it. You want to achieve it. The runner is trying to realize his purpose. He wants to win the race. So every step, every stride, every lap has meaning to him. Not only what he does on the track, but what he does off the track. Moves him toward his destination. The way he eats, the way he sleeps, the way he exercises, his schedule. Here's what I mean. No motion is wasted. No motion is mindless. All of it has meaning. And here's the application. In the Christian life, if we're to run, we ought to run to win, to break the tape, to cross the finish line first. We don't run just to show. We don't run just to place. We run to win. What he's saying is Christianity is not about a half-hearted effort. It means to obtain. It means there's a purpose. There's a goal. There's an objective. So we aren't running to win a corruptible crown, not a wreath for your head or a trophy for your mantle. But we're running to hear well done when we... Paul said, for all men must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he said, that's my finish line. I'll see my Savior first of all. And I I want to hear him say, well done. When I cross the finish line, I'm not running to win something, but gain someone so like an athlete who will train and eat and uh, buffet his body. I'll do whatever I can do to make sure my motion has meaning, getting me closer to that destination. So in verse 26, look what it says. I therefore so run. Running deals with physical." Not as uncertainly that deals with the mental. He said, "So fight I," that deals with his fitness. Not as one that beateth the air that deals with his focus. He said, "I am not just running." Yeah, so if I were to, or just if we were to take the young people that walk across this platform tonight to a track and say, "Run," how would they do it? Everywhere, yeah. it look like this place when we close in a, on it last amen. Just everywhere, people out. Could you imagine that if we just brought them in here tonight and just said race around the building? You know where they'd race? Everywhere. They'd chew the drywall and they'd come out of the ceiling tiles. And I mean, it'd be a charismatic church in here tonight. I mean, this is what it would look like. He saying, Well, now I'm running, but I'm not running like I don't know how to go around the track. Because what a waste of time that'd be. I'm trying to see people saved three times in this text. He said, I want to gain them. I want to win them. I want to see them saved. He said, so I don't have time to get caught up in side issues. I don't have time to get bogged down by the entanglements of this life. And I don't have time just to go through the motions and sit there and say, well, I'm not really feeling like doing church today, but I'll show up out of of obligation. I want the preacher to get worried about it. He might get more worried that you're sleeping on him in the sermon than if you just stayed home and slept on the couch. I mean, you're sitting there. He said, I don't have time for that. This thing's too important. I've got a finish line. So I run, but I run with certainty. And they said, I don't fight like I'm. Box and shadows. You see those guys who don't know how to fight and they get in a boxing ring. We used to do boxing at a camp. I used to preach at every year. And uh, th- everybody left with broken noses and broken thumbs and things. I think they've ceased since everybody got arrested. That was Anyway, I, 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 but, but they, they did boxing with those boys every year. And I am kind of for that. I think it'd be good for our guys. Some, everyone's going to get a bloody nose and get dirty and things. I'll get a little worried about some of them. But uh, anyway, they, they'd box. And those fellas thought they could box until they got in that little ring with some of those boys who actually knew how to box. And you get it there. You ever seen those tough man competitions? I don't know if they do that in California. In West Virginia they do that. And they're not in shape. These are like Bubba and Bertha and those kind of people. And they're overweight and they're, and they're the biggest brawler at the bar, but they're not a boxer. And they're haymaker throwers is what they are. And they just do this. You ever seen anything like that? And about if you can just move and stay out of their way for about a minute, they're going to kill themselves anyway. Cardiac arrest. Dead. <laughs> they flail is what they do. They flail. Paul's saying this, hey, listen, I don't fight like I'm just flailing. I'm looking to knock that fellow right in the nose. I'm I'm gauging the distance. I know my reach. I know where my jab, my upper, I know where I'm going to hit him. I'm not just boxing at shadows. I'm looking to make contact when I swing. And he's applying that to the Christian life, and he's asking this, you better be mindful of why you do what you do. Because if not, you're going to wear yourself out fighting shadows. And you're going to wear yourself running after nothing. So let me apply it. And I won't, this is it. So much of what we do in life has been automated. Hit the microwave and the meal cooks for you. You don't even have to think about it. Right? Set your alarm and then forget it. Phone will take care of it. Repeat every day. Calendar event. Don't even think about it. It's automated. But the tragedy is if we're not careful, we allow that thing to overlap into our spiritual life. And worship becomes automated. I already know what I could preach here today and get amens the yes, whole sure service.
0: You don't sure you do. Sure
1: you do. You don't have to live on a farm long to know how to get milk from the cow. You don't have to preach for very long to know how to get amens out of Baptists. Right. Exactly. I could preach uh, 45 minutes and not give you any Bible, but I could get a bunch of amens if I wanted to right now. I guarantee it. And I'm not talking down to you. That would happen anywhere. And I'd do it. If I was in the pew, I'd say amen to what I'm talking about. And we're mindlessly saying amen. Don't even know what we're doing. I know what songs we can sing here and it get on.
0: Yes, right, right.
1: Exactly. It's under the blood. Oh, I better say amen right yeah. there. And that's a good song and a good truth. Yeah. But I think if we just see five or six other people get happy about it, then we just get happy about it. We don't even know what we're doing. <laughs> right. Hello. Mindlessly worshiping. Mindlessly working for God. Yeah. Right. Still serving, but there's no mindfulness in it. We just show up on time, leave on time. We do the work, we get it done. But there's no considering Christ in the process. And that's when you get frustrated in your purpose because you've forgotten the process is as much purpose as the finish line is. And Christ is not just my goal. Christ is every step on the journey. I can pray. Here's the problem. We can do good without it doing any good. We can amen and pray and witness and attend and work and separate and join and give and whatever you want to do. But if you are not considering Christ, you're going to leave feeling like you didn't do much of anything. You're going to run with no certainty. You're going to fight without making contact. I'm familiar with ultra calls. So I have to make myself be mindful of the ultra call. Sure, sure. I'm familiar with soul winning. Yeah, yeah. So I have to make sure I keep the intent in my going soul winning. I'm familiar with the offering. So I know exactly when to go to the bathroom during the... I'm kidding. So I have to make sure I keep the intent when the offering plate is passed. I am familiar with dress standards. So I have to make sure I keep the intent in why I do what I do or don't do what I do. I'm familiar with this church. I don't know it as well as some people, but I know it well enough. I know the color of the carpet and the walls. I know the smell of the auditorium when you come in here during the week. I know the beeping out in the lobby that's so annoying when you're in here trying to, trying to get along with God and just beep, beep. I know that. I know that the, the one lock over there eats my key every time and I have to walk around the building to the other one to get through. I mean, I know all these little things about the building. So I have to be careful because I get so familiar with what it sounds like and what it looks like, what it smells like, that I just show up, leave. It doesn't just as much good for me to stay at the house. Because the entire time I was in the place, I wasn't engaged in what I was doing. Wow. Wow. And here's my message. We cannot afford. I mean, it is all over the country. We are, more, we, we, we are more formal, Catholic sometimes in what we do than we want to admit. Because we are going through motion yeah. without heart yeah. and without intent and purpose. I wondered, when's the last time you were fully engaged, not just swinging, not just running, but considering Christ?
0: Thank you for listening to the Audio Preaching Podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.